0: While federal health policy is critical to the long-term sustainability of rural health care, state-level policy is just as important and sometimes more so. So, how do rural hospitals keep track of health policy in their state and engage with the legislature to ensure their voice is heard?
1: With peer hospital collaboration, communication with elected officials, and relentless engagement with the legislative process. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm JJ Hodshire.
0: And this is Rural Health Rising.
1: Welcome to episode 59 of Rural Health Rising. I'm JJ Hodgeshire. President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital.
0: And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development.
1: You know, Rachel, we talk a lot about healthcare policy. And when we talk about long term financial stability for rural hospitals, we're usually talking about federal policy as it relates to reimbursement, right. uh, payment structures, grants, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but state level healthcare policy is equally important. And uh, it has a significant impact uh, on rural hospitals.
0: That's right. And today we are talking with someone who is intimately familiar with this in Michigan as she chairs the House Health Policy Committee.
1: That's right. Our guest today is Brana Kali, representative to Michigan's 57th district. Welcome to Rural Health Rising.
2: Thank you so much, JJ, Rachel. It's a pleasure to be here with you this, today.
0: To start, Brana, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your
2: work at the Statehouse? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I have the honor of representing Michigan's 57th district in the state house. That would be Lenawee County, the neighboring county <laughs> right here to Hillsdale. Yes, yes. So, a nice county, a beautiful happy county. to uh, come over and meet you, see you today, and be on your podcast. And this is my sixth year serving wow. in the Michigan House wow. of Representatives. I'm currently the chair, as you mentioned, of the House Health Policy oh, Committee. Nice. Uh, coming into the second year, that will end in. December at the end of this term, every two years there oh, is yeah. a change yeah. mm-hmm. in um, committees and committee chairmanships. I also serve on the Judiciary Committee and also the insurance committee for the House. Um, but before I began serving the people of Lenaway and really our entire state as a representative, I worked in the senior services field. Oh. Um, most recently, I was the director of the Adrian Senior Center which is a really a thriving senior yes. center there is a adult day services housed in the same building oh, yeah. a very robust home delivered meal program as well as the uh, congregate meal program and a number of support groups meet there and so forth yeah. before that um, i had a home care business helping uh, vulnerable members of our communities, particularly senior citizens, but it could mm -hmm. be younger with needs, uh, stay as independent as possible in their own home, whatever that is, even if that's an assisted living community or a hospice home situation. So caregivers went out. um, That was non-medical, I want to emphasize. (laughs) So that is different than home health, but a very important part of the Healthcare yeah, continuum sure to help is. people be as healthy as possible. Yeah, right.
1: That's that's incredible. So I probably would have ran into you at Region Two meetings. Uh, area on aging on agency, area. Wait a minute. Region Two, uh, area. Agency AG on aging.
2: Yes. Or t- R what, th- is what is it? R-AAA-2, <laughs>
1: right? It is. There it is. Okay. All right. So, uh,
2: R-2-AAA, uh, a- actually. It there it is. All
1: right. So what an incredible background. And it sounds like you've just really been involved with taking care of people. And I think that's really indicative of what we're going to talk about today, mm-hmm. your involvement. Uh, because Lenawee, much like Hillsdale, even though bigger, is rural. And, uh, you know, we're fighting for some of the thing- same things. And so we'll talk a little bit about that today. But before we get started, um, we always start with a why and, you know, we've established who you are and what you do, Uh, and we like to do this on every episode so that way our listeners get to know you just a little bit better. So I'm going to ask you, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of the bed in the morning to do the things that you do?
2: Well, there are many reasons, but if I summed it up in one word, it would be people. Um, It's about people and my care for them, and uh, underneath all of that, it's my faith in God I believe that every person is unique and has infinite value, whatever their age, whatever their gender, their race, their education level, um, and even their medical condition, you name it. They are all of value. I believe that, as our uh, Declaration of Independence says, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and uh, they are endowed by their creator, not the government. And um, those rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And right. that is what gets me out of bed right. in the morning at, at the end of the day. Yeah. It boils down to that, the, that simple thing.
1: Yeah. And if you could just if, imagine this, listeners, a big smile— in passion, because that's what we feel in this room today. Oh, yeah. Uh, Representative, you're just an amazing example. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the things that you've done. But first, you know, let's focus on you shared with us that you have, you know, a background in some home care, chore assist type business, uh, and have served as director as of a senior center. A huge, noble task. Uh, I served as a board member of our uh, senior center for like a decade. And I know the work that we do, often thankless, uh, but really impacts so many important frail lives in our communities. And it's very important. uh, And it really, you know, supporting those type of endeavors supports healthcare. And so how has that experience for you influenced the work that you do now as it relates to the House Health Policy Committee?
2: It influences my decisions a great deal. And it sounds like you have a little familiarity with it, JJ, serving on the board, and the importance of trying to help People on an individual level stay as healthy as possible, which is more than eating right and exercise and mm-hmm. getting regular visits right. um, from your provider. It's also uh, your your mental health state. Oh yeah. Your you know, are you depressed? Are you engaged? Is community engagement? Does somebody know mm-hmm. your name mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you go out every day? Mm-hmm. Do you have a mm-hmm. purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, so, how does that relate to healthcare? Well. As, as you know better than I do, healthcare costs are soaring. Hmm. Um, there are staffing shortages across the board in this critical service sector, especially in the rural areas. I mean, yeah. it's everywhere. Sure. And not even just Michigan. Sure. But especially in the rural it areas is. like here in Hillsdale right. or like Lenaway County where right. I am. That's right. There's also a huge push for, as a way to contain cost, um, standardizing and, and almost commoditizing, I mm-hmm, guess, mm-hmm. Uh, care mm-hmm. in this formulaic manner, you know, data-driven, using aggregate data and numbers. And I do get that because of the rising cost, because sure. of the, the need and the volume. But when I think about the families, the individuals um, that I interacted with each and every day, I think about the value of them. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in, we're mm-hmm. in a volume Model. We are
1: today, and
2: it's it's sad, but it's it is a reality that somehow we have to work with. um, I don't know the answer, but how do we contain cost? How do we? How are we effective and efficient and deliver the best care, but still be able to think about the value of the care we're delivering, not just the volume that we're that we're delivering? You know. So, again when I think of the senior center and when I had the home care company and the kinds of Mm -hmm. individuals we helped, you know, that it reminds me that these aren't numbers. um, These are moms, dads, you know, that somebody's grandmother, it's somebody's Mm -hmm. aunt or uncle or sister or spouse, Mm -hmm. husband, wife. Um, It's about those people. But yet we have real needs for being able to sustain local care Right. And local quality care. Yeah. So it's it's a conundrum. But at any rate, to your original question, it's influenced the way I view health policy a great deal.
1: Sure. You know, and Mm -hmm. as we begin to to shift focus, you know, we see in our industry the move from volume to value. And we often hear presentations time and time again. But it's so hard to make that transition because Mm -hmm. when we look at the bottom line, it's based on value and we we have to get into a new mindset as we start thinking about the value associated with that life, that covered life. And so, you know, there's a lot of great programs, which we do here at Hillsdale and other places across America. You know, the uh, ACOs are, are a big part of this, and participating in groups, making sure that you have nurse navigators. Those are all important strategies. So thanks for the work that you do, and it sounds like your background is coming in quite handy.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that really, uh, you know, colors the way that you view the work that you're doing, that you have that as kind of your foundation or your lens through which you're viewing the work that's being done on the House Health Policy Committee. So speaking of, for those who aren't familiar with all the inner workings and processes of state legislatures, (laughs) in Michigan in particular, but the committees and committee chairs and how the, uh, you know, potential legislation gets written and all that process, can you give us an understanding of what the House Health Policy Committee does and how it works? Sure. And it's truly a lot like
2: the process might be at the federal government, although I would say it's more efficient. Mm -hmm. It's closer to home. Mm -hmm. Um, Representatives that serve on this committee are closer to their own constituents simply because they don't serve as many. You know, every state representative represents about 90,000 people in the state of Michigan as compared to, you know, a congressman or woman. um, Mm -hmm. It's it's just that it's hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. So um, the health policy committee will hear bills. I'm um, just like the, I'm just a bill. I'm an ordinary bill yeah. sitting oh, here on yeah. Capitol Hill. Oh, right. if you think back to that, <laughs> favorite. So it's, it's how it works at the state level too. Someone how, uh, introduces a bill which, you know, and then it gets assigned to a committee and mm-hmm. that's the first step. So the committee is the first step yeah. in the mm-hmm. process. So if it's a health related bill, Um, It will come to the Health Policy Committee, and there, um, there's a lot of bills in the committee. There is not time to hear every bill in the committee. There's a lot of work, uh, weekly meetings with me and my my legislative director and a a policy staff member where we go over the bills that are assigned. Mm -hmm. um, How do we prioritize these? How do we stay with our overarching goal, which my overarching goal, frankly, is patient-centered Um, affordability, accessibility, and quality of care. You know, that's Mm -hmm. the initial lens. That doesn't always make some stakeholders happy, but it's the way you have to have a filter Focus on the patient. Um, And then um, the members of that committee, there's... Uh, it's a large committee, represent all different areas of the state. You know, think about mm-hmm. the state of Michigan. Oh, sure. I and mean, we're down here by the Ohio-Indiana <laughs> oh, yeah. line right. uh, oh, yeah. where we are today. But however, think of the UP oh, and yeah. everything mm-hmm. in between. Our state is huge. It is. So there are members from the UP on this committee. There's members from our urban areas, Lansing, Grand Rapids, um, really and everything in between. And that, those collaborative voices are critical. Yeah. Because when a law is made or a policy change is made, it affects the entire state. So you've got to have the voice of everyone. Um, and I take that seriously, being from a rural area, that mm-hmm. our, the, the voice of our rural communities and rural health care providers must be heard.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Let's talk about committee. So it's a word often used by some of my friends in Lansing and Washington. You know, when I text uh, their chiefs of staff and say, hey, I need to talk with Mike Shirky or Tim Wahlberg, whether it's Lansing or D.C., it's always, well, they're in committee. So first of all, let's talk about some mechanics. A committee, um, how many can you chair typically as as a representative? Would you see one, two, three committees?
2: Great question. Typically, as a representative, you're only chairing one committee. One committee. And Mm -hmm. then you're serving depending upon... How many bills are going through? Okay. You know, some committees are busier than others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Health Mm -hmm. policy is extremely busy. Judiciary is extremely busy. Reg reform, regulation reform, that happens to be extremely busy. So if you're on those committees, you're probably not on as many, but some are on as many as five in the House. Yeah. But only chairing one, that's. And then
1: working on the others. Now
2: in the Senate, there'll be multiple. Right. You might chair multiple committees. Yeah. We only have 38 mm-hmm. senators. We yeah. have 110 representatives. Yeah. So um, the speaker on the House side is the ultimate um, determiner, right. one, the one that makes the decision, I would say, yeah. for yeah. who will be on what committee and then what position you would have. So right. he assigns the chairs, or she, happens to be he right now, mm-hmm. Jason sure. Wentworth. Oh, yeah. uh, and then there, it's really rigorous. When you, you're up on a stand, uh, you can watch, by the way. You can go to House TV yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um go into the archives and watch old committee oh, yeah. hearings or current committee hearings. Yeah. You can sign up to get alerts for what committee hearings are scheduled and what the topics will be. Mm-hmm. And it is open to anyone. It's a great way to stay informed on issues that might concern you or specifically affect you.
1: Absolutely. Well, rapid fire questions. number one. so all all legislation being proposed relative to health care has to come through you, right? you're for, gonna you're gonna see it first
0: for the most part. I mean, there's rare exceptions. Sure, mate. It's basically a clearinghouse, right? As, like you said, yes. the first step.
2: I mean, just to give you an example, so far in Please. this term, which is 2021 and 2022, and um, four months into 2022, there have been approximately 155. I think three weeks ago, it was 152 bills that have been referred to the Health Policy Committee. Oh, that's wow. amazing. Of that number, 68 have passed out of that committee thus far. Um, there's several more coming yeah. up. We meet weekly, yeah. over usually weekly. Um, and 26 of those have been signed into law. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's kind
0: of the, yeah. gives you some scale. Right. Yeah. Kind so, of the funnel of here's where it starts mm-hmm. and here's how yeah. small it gets. Yeah. Right.
1: So 60 out of 150. That's pretty fantastic. I mean, obviously, all of that is you and your staff working, interviewing individuals. Uh, so let me ask you this. So, you know, we, we think about that committee work. And, and when I when we think about healthcare, it's, you know, it's universal. But, you know, it's obviously at a state level. It's not a, a niche thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities probably to reach across the aisle, right? And I think where we have, at least I felt it during COVID, is we kind of put Some of our barriers aside, and I'm sure that's a lot of the work that you do, isn't it? Just to make sure that we can get, and it's important, concessions and pass something that we really think is good. And, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about that process?
2: Absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought that up, JJ, because health policy affects every single one of us. Not that all policy areas don't, but this particularly does, does. truly, in a very intimate um, and personal and critical way. It's been my goal, with rare exception, that we work collaboratively
1: mm-hmm.
2: with our Democrat colleagues. I happen to be a Republican. Um, but these these issues are primarily bipartisan. Yeah. And almost all of the bills, there's been a, a few on the things you hear about all the time that, yeah. that are political divides. But overall, they've all been passed with strong bipartisan yeah. support, often often unanimous support. Yeah. There's a great vice chair. Um, to every committee will have a majority party chair and then a majority vice chair and a minority vice chair. Nice. So I work closely with our minority vice chair um, to make sure, sure that we're hearing concerns from members on that side. And it's, that's how it should be. Yeah. There was a, a very, a sweeping package of bills that passed out uh, about this time last year. We were in the midst of it mm-hmm. that have to do with prescription drug prices. Oh, yeah. And there were, Oh, eight bills were the core of that package. Really bold bills yeah. that were patient focused, had to do with um, pharmacy benefit managers. Sometimes called PBMs, this mm-hmm. is this term you may have never heard before. <laughs> Although if you're in the healthcare industry, <laughs> you, Trust have, us. We you have, you have. But it. the average, uh, the average person on the no? street has not. In but no they clue. certainly yeah. feel the impact yeah. of mm-hmm. the policies, maybe of that murky yeah. middle, yeah, that's kind mm-hmm. of hidden. Absolutely. So it was very bipartisan. It Good. was uh, sponsored by both Democrats and Republicans, yeah. and we continue to to work that way. So the other, the other key in this space. Um, and a lot of the committee work too is making sure that you're hearing from the people across the healthcare yes. provider spectrum. I mean, this is, includes ambulance services yeah. and nursing homes yeah. and home health and physical therapists. I mean, you sure. you could list hospitals. it yeah. much more right. than I could. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, listening to them is critical to to doing to good policy. I agree with you. How how would I know what it's like to be an EMT? if I wasn't listening to what it's like to be an AMT, or, you know, put that across the board. And thankfully uh, they are very active. Right. Most, most people have a voice in Lansing and I think it's my my responsibility and the responsibility of other members on the committee to listen and hear all sides before making rash decisions because you think you know the best thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to follow up with a question and I told you I wouldn't put you on the spot, but I'm going to, can you think about one piece of legislation that's come out of your committee that you're really just like, and I know it's hard to do, proud of. Maybe when it was signed by the governor, you're like, you know what, there was a lot of work, but it impacted the positive health care in our communities. Can you can you talk about maybe that one thing?
2: There are there are several <laughs> there this. are several that this over the last six years, but yeah. I will think of something very recent. Um in fact, the most recent bill to be signed into law that came out of the committee Maybe I believe she signed it three weeks ago, approximately early April, maybe. Mm -hmm. And that had to do with prior authorization Mm -hmm. and prior auth is Mm -hmm. had a play. It has a role. It has a place, Mm right? You know, there's this pendulum, you know, and on one side you could have providers just assigning every type of expensive treatment and test because they can. Um, And maybe it's not necessary as we're talking about cost containment and affordability. But on the other hand, I have heard story after story across the spectrum from um, patients having to wait to get the care yes. that they know yes. that works or to, yes. want right. to get approval for a test. And these days, many of the prior authorization approvals mm-hmm. can only be delivered if the physician themselves are the ones on the phone talking That's 100% to this. correct. And mm-hmm. they do not have time. You know, that leads right. us right back to the, the um, staffing shortage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was— Bipartisan. That was a um, took a long time. There was a lot of work invested mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. sure that it struck that balance
1: right. of, You're right. of some
2: kind of accountability, but yet uh, practical and able to be yeah. done without sacrificing the care, the health care of the patient, and without wasting the right. time of the provider. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: hear mm-hmm. it directly from me because I'm the guy who gets the call typically in the past that, and the call is we just want the surgery. We just want the MRI. And we have to wait for this. And people are frustrated and health outcomes are worse Mm
2: -hmm. because we
1: wait. And to your point, we have to balance that. Obviously, that's very important, but it sounds like you did a great job at that compromise. And so congratulations on that piece of legislation. And it's a
2: congratulations to really everyone that was involved, which which were many on both sides of the aisle.
1: That's fantastic.
0: Well, you just mentioned staffing shortages, so let's talk about that because I know the committee has heard from healthcare organizations, even in the last, you know, month or two, about the staffing shortages we're experiencing in this industry. Um, There have been probably a couple episodes of Rural Health Rising in the last couple months that we've talked about it. Um, We even did a, a whole mini which really they're not that mini. That's kind of the running <laughs> joke because they're just as long as the regular episodes. Um, but we talked about um, staffing shortages, but we also talked about, you know, nurse travelers and the challenges that those agencies have posed within the industry. But can you um, kind of talk about with the what you've heard from healthcare organizations and from folks who have testified to your committee what specific issues and or solutions have been discussed and is there legislation in the works to address those shortages the staffing
2: shortages across the board in healthcare comes up again and again mm-hmm. and again i it was already an issue And I feel silly saying this to you. You know this. Mm -hmm. But prior to COVID, Mm -hmm. it was was trending in a poor direction. We were specifically having primary care provider issues and behavioral health provider issues. Mm -hmm. COVID came and just exacerbated an already challenging situation Mm -hmm. that was trending in the wrong way. Mm And I guess you could say put it on on what hyper speed or something right. like that. Right. And understandably, I mean these providers were out there exhausted mm-hmm. the, in the beginning. The fear that had to go with it mm-hmm. when we weren't sure exactly how serious it could be, mm-hmm. and yet they were in their day and. Day in and day out. Mm -hmm. My sister-in-law is a respiratory therapist to that point um, and truly has been in the thick of it. And so for me, when I talk to her, she'll tell me what it's really been like. Mm. And it hasn't just been lots of overtime. She's my age, by the way, so we're not talking someone in their 20s. Um, but she's also talked about the emotional oh, sure. exhaustion yeah. because she's seen people pass away. She has been the one that's put the, someone on a ventilator, you know, and that's mm-hmm. yeah. that's the reality in the midst of a a topic that is already mm-hmm. hypercharged. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Going back to the staffing shortage issue um, with COVID, that made it worse,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and everyone may think. Uh, oh, this is just going to be, this is just the doctors. This is just our psychiatrist. And indeed it is or nurses and it is, but it's even, um, the housekeepers and it's the the med techs and it's the sanitary staff, the janitorial staff, the cooks in the, in the hospital kitchens. And it's, you know, we've been taking hits across the board, but our rural communities mm-hmm. are taking the biggest hits from what I understand and from what we I are, hear. Mm-hmm. Had a committee hearing on the end of March that focused on addressing the provider shortage from those that are actually in the field. Uh, there was Juliaro, she's, I should say, Dr. Juliaro, she is the CEO of Promedica mm-hmm. for the Lenaway County mm-hmm. area. We heard from the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services about the EMTs. We heard mm-hmm. about skilled nursing facility shortages. Someone spoke from that perspective, a CMH perspective. Um, it's excellent. It is. It's difficult, but I, it was important to have that meeting so that the committee members could hear directly from those that were on the ground in the field, dealing every day with this. Right. And um, also to hear their thoughts on solutions mm-hmm. And it's there are many it's multifaceted. it is mm-hmm. you know as you know it is. but there's there's many conversations around continuing to reach further down mm-hmm. into the younger grades to build that talent mm-hmm. to build that pipeline mm-hmm. and awareness, giving opportunities, um, maybe more credentialing when it comes to CNAs, Let's have let's have a med tech. Let's, let's let them achieve more education right. mm-hmm. to um, understand even more that they already are professionals. But right. to to build in a more professional level so that sure. they too can deliver medicines
1: sure.
2: like other states um, from the accessibility side. There are several bills. I mean, I could list them off, and right. but like House Bill forty forty six, create the nurse licensure compact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, House Bill fifty four eighty nine. I happen to be a sponsor of that with another Democrat member. There's two bills there that would allow psychologists to provide psychological services in states where they may not be licensed if they're part of a compact. We're mm-hmm. one of the few states um, not in this compact. I think it's up to thirty six states now. Oh, wow. mm. We are not. The psychologists themselves want to do this yeah. mm-hmm. so they can, um, in a licensed manner, deliver telemedicine mm-hmm. um, to people across the state and, and vice versa. Yeah. Now, there's um, Senate Bill 18 that was signed into law, and that allows physical therapists to get a multi-state licensure mm-hmm. so they can mm-hmm. practice physical therapy. So I, I say this because we have to think differently.
1: Sure. Right. We have got
2: to open up our border, so to speak, and allow more back mm-hmm. and forth across um, state lines and expand the use of telemedicine, uh, the loan repayment programs, huge. really focusing on that's the huge. rural areas.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Brings people back to work.
2: It does. it does. You know we need more reimbursement. That's yes. for sure. Sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. So there's so many areas, but it is a top. Focus area in the legislature right mm-hmm. now, so I I hear you, and a lot of people hear yeah. you, but keep sounding your horn.
1: Yeah, we will. We'll continue to do that. And I I want to stop to give you some you know praise because I think that's important. Oftentimes, you know, in your position, you hear all the negative, right? But I think what's really important. Number one, uh, I want to thank you for working collaboratively. Uh, and being very friendly with the Michigan Hospital Association. Um, I know that we work, you know, very closely with you and your team uh, on important issues that impact healthcare. care. Um, and, and the uniqueness of Michigan Hospital Association is that they represent rural communities, large communities. And so thank you for, you know, listening and being part of that discussion. I appreciate it. Second of all, for your support, of House Bill 5523. Now, I know you don't memorize all the bills, but uh, this is gonna be significant for rural communities like mine. Uh, Education for our nurses and training for staff. And of that, the legislature has dedicated 10% of the total 300 million under, I believe it was close to $1 billion package. 10%, Representative Kali, has been donated or has been designated, excuse me, for rural hospitals. That's huge. That's a game changer for us. And I want to say thank you, because when we're looking at all of the losses, the lack of individuals coming into the facility, you know, the cost structure's all just changing, Um, you know, it has been a very difficult time for rural healthcare. On a national basis, you know, 140 hospitals in America have closed since 2010, and the majority of those are rural hospitals, many more projected to close into the future. So legislation like this, helps anchor small hospitals like Hillsdale, uh, hospitals in other communities. Can you only imagine what's going on up north? You know, some of our friends at War Memorial or other places, hospitals with very little population and paramix that's, you know, 80 and 90 percent Medicaid, um, just a very bad storm that happened in healthcare. So I want to thank you for your support of those things uh, and for your advocacy and for really bringing these issues to light in your committee so that we can talk about them because they're not very friendly they're not very exciting but we've got to tackle these issues
2: yes and house bill 5523 i do remember what that bill was mm-hmm. and i think it was <laughs> 1.2 billion it was. and that was um that was a it's powerful huge. bill to oh, deliver and continue to ex- to share yeah. to your own representative and through the Michigan Absolutely. Hospital Association how um, we can continue to support yeah. is we if we lose a health system oh. or a rural hospital in some of these communities. It's done, Communities done. I mean, think of transportation. Right. I mean, think there's just, it's it's imperative. You're right, that you're 100
1: right. Mm-hmm. So that is why we started Rural Health Rising, you know, to highlight the challenges that rural hospitals, you know, undergo each and every day uh, to sustain their local economies because we are typically the second or third largest employer in those regions and those communities. So um, let's drive it home to rural. Um, and I'd like for you to give us an example of a time when a hospital or healthcare provider worked with you on the committee directly in support of a bill that impacts them.
2: I can think of uh, one of my favorite examples. There are several, but this would have been uh, right when the opioid package became law. Mm -hmm. I think that might, 2018, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, it became effective. I think it was signed the last week of 2017, and that was the package of bills that were trying to address the overprescribing of opioids yes. mm-hmm. because that is a, we could probably spend an entire
1: and we have entire session on that <laughs> right, right. but
2: you know in a nutshell you probably already know that that was the bill package that was going to make it uh, a little more difficult to prescribe opioids for pain relief to patients with good reason mm-hmm. however there was a very unintended consequence that I found out. I remember I was sitting and I had just gotten a Big Bee coffee through a drive-through in Adrian, and I mm-hmm. remember where I sat when my, my phone rang from my friend and nurse head nurse at Hospice of Lenaway. and it was probably the end of February of that year, saying we have a problem. She goes, "If we can't prescribe pain relief to our hospice patients, oh, yeah. uh, we have a real issue." We will not be able to do it. We don't have—there was like a bona fide doctor-patient relationship that you had to have. Well, mm -hmm. or you're going into their homes, and then if you could only give five days. So I believe the implementation date for that bill. Signed into law early 2018, but the implementation might have been April 1st, something like that. Mm -hmm. So she called in February. So that was the start of— a ton hmm. of work in hmm. very short order mm-hmm. and wow. raising awareness. And then through her initial call to me, they got the hosp- Hospice Association engaged. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was very difficult mm-hmm. because no one wanted to undermine the hard work that was done to try to rein in the overprescribing right. sure. and the addictions sure. and all of the Stuff. outcomes. But yet, how do you make an exception in this critical? Yeah. Area. Mm-hmm. So I'll just condense a long story yeah. and say that it, it did work out, but it yeah. was not easy even then.
1: Mm. No.
2: Um, even um, and it was important to tell the stories over and over mm-hmm. of a family of a, a you know what if you had a loved one, and they, we want to make them right. as comfortable as possible in their final days. Well, right now they cannot. They literally are not in the state of Michigan. So we it was fixed.
1: Well, what a remarkable story to advocate for the patient and especially at the end of life and the care that's necessary. So for our rural health care leaders listening today, um, what would you tell them is the best strategy to engage with their state? Remember, this is a national podcast, so we could have a CEO in Utah listening to this. How would they what would you recommend for them to engage with their state legislature on health policy and, you know, to have the impact, you know, of how to get these laws signed?
2: Sure. I mean, first and foremost, it's to understand how critical your voice is. I encourage you to reach out. You know, I know that much of what affects hospitals happens at the federal level when it comes to funding, but there, there is incredible value in getting to know your closest to the ground state Mm -hmm. legislator. Mm -hmm. Put aside party. Maybe they're not of the same political affiliation that you are. That does not matter. They are your representative and will probably care about the same issues that you care about, whichever side of the fence they're on when it comes to health care. And if you can build a relationship with them, try to get on um, a level of relationship where you could call them on their cell phone or text Mm -hmm. them if something urgent is occurring meet them for coffee once every few months, take them for tours of your facility. It's not time wasted. In fact, it is time that is mm-hmm. incredibly well spent. If it, if you have a good legislator representing you or a good senator at the state level, they want to hear from you mm-hmm. and they would welcome your outreach right. as a leader in their community because as a health system or a, a hospital, um, as J.J., as you said, it's often the second or third biggest employer yeah. in an area. Yeah. And it is vital to the fabric of the community yeah. is mm-hmm. to have our health and hospital
0: yeah. mm-hmm. system be strong. What yeah. other organization touches as many of their constituents as a hospital right. besides maybe the grocery store? You yeah, know?
1: truly. <laughs> it's, Absolutely. it's huge. You know, Rachel, I had to learn that lesson that uh, Representative Kali is sharing today because, you know, I, I came from a pretty— you know, structured background uh, in party-leaning. And uh, when I came to the hospital, I'd realized that all has to go away quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And, you know, it was hard sometimes to make that happen, but you have to do it for the patient. Uh, and you know, it's taught me a valuable lesson. You know, as you know, I I was able to work with Mike Shirky, mm-hmm. who is of my party, uh, and Mike and I worked together. But we did something that was against our party at the time. Right? We advocated for Medicaid expansion, mm-hmm. and Mike and I um, were right there, and and we were called all kinds of names. You know, you're a, a Republican. Why would you do that? This is terrible. But what we recognize is the intrinsic value of providing care to people who need it the most, not about politics, not about saying that this is a quote unquote program of this or that, but really crossing over and saying, you know what, it's important because it's what's right for the patient. Mm -hmm. And I think when we do more of what's right for the patient, it is what's right in healthcare. And uh, for those CEOs listening today, I would encourage you, regardless of your affiliation, uh, reach out to your legislature, both at the state level and at the federal level to help them understand the complexities of the challenges that you face each and every day. Well, Representative Kali, it is very difficult to believe that we're already at the end of our interview today, and I just want to thank you for your passion, your energy, your enthusiasm. You know, we feel it. Now, six years, if my math is not incorrect, this is in Michigan term limits. What do you got left? A few months, uh, six months, eight months, what do we got left?
2: Seven months. Seven months. Seven months left, and I will be all in working hard to the very end. Yes,
1: you will. I have a feeling you're doing it to the last day. So congratulations on your success as a representative and for helping us in rural hospitals like Hillsdale, Lenawee County, you know, while they belong to a system, they're still a small hospital. And for the hospitals across the state of Michigan, we say thank you.
2: Thank you so much for having me and for being the voice of Rural Hospitals.
1: And before we close, we'd like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. We want to know, and you're from Rural, so this this may work, uh, what is your most unique Rural experience or one of your favorite memories from Rural life?
2: There are so many things (laughs) I could share. (laughs) However, I will share one that comes back from my campaigning time, one of the many Times that I knocked on doors to mm-hmm. meet people and yeah. hear what's on their heart, and I was one that knocked thousands of doors. Oh, sure. So I also had a team that would knock doors. So much of Lenawee County is dirt roads. Uh, there are many, many dirt roads. We do not have a four-lane highway in our entire county. No. It's mm-hmm. all two-lane, and then on a lot of dirt roads on top of that. So uh, actually, one of my volunteers was knocking and. She shared a story that had our group laughing so hard. We had tears running down our faces because (laughs) she pulled into a drive, you know, driveway. And um, you always pause, by the way, if you're in a rural setting with no one around to make sure that no dog is running out or any other kind of uh, (laughs) animal because you're in their space and they will get you. Uh, And so apparently two goats came out and the goats just stared planted themselves in front of her vehicle and wouldn't move and she was a little scared she's like do i get out do i not and then she's like no i no. don't as they kind of lowered their head oh, and the no. next thing she knew they there were two they ran Rainbow. up her nope they ran up the hood of her car up the windshield over the roof oh, and down gosh. off the back no way. and then kidding? she just we're out of there. So oh only that will not it's happen in country. Detroit or
0: Ann Arbor. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. What a wonderful
1: story. Wow. <laughs> and how rural. Well, thanks for sharing your stories today. We appreciate you.
2: Thank you.
1: Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in.
0: And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen, too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising.
1: And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong.
0: Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.
1: That's right. Our guest today is Representative Brana Kali, serving Michigan's seventh. Cheese.
2: I just started Michigan. Stroke. Stroke. I'm I, start just, out there. I Michi- just got a promotion to Congresswoman. I know. I know.
1: I know. Isn't this crazy? All right.